Hello and welcome to the Bucket List Gamers DLC. In this episode we are going to talk about N64 games. So specifically ones that aren't on the list or ones that are on the list that we've already covered already, depending on which ones I choose almost at random from a list of N64 games that we've just pulled up. As you can tell, we're massively prepared for this bonus episode. I've been having a little bit of a craving for N64 games recently. So I thought I'll bring a list up and we'll see if, if me already have any particularly strong feelings about any of the ones I mention. Let's dive into the list. Let's go with Conker's Bad Fur Day to start. Oh, now I do have particular affection for this. Not that I played it on the N64, because getting it on the N64 was ridiculously difficult. I, th- I think they must have only released like a couple of thousand units for I it. Still I still can't believe the... they ever did. I'm still baffled to this day this game exists on a Nintendo console. A PlayStation, yeah, fair enough. But on a Nintendo console, I am amazed that Nintendo signed off on this. Particularly when it's from an age when Nintendo had that kid-friendly association that they sort of ran with with the Wii, Mm. and they're sort of pulling back from it now because they're getting quite a lot of mainstream games ported onto it. Some of them aren't great, but now that the Switch is up to par... They are getting more adult games, but yeah, it is it is a very good game. It's very funny. It is just essentially, well, not a reskin, but it's it's not a million miles off Banjo-Kazooie, is it? In terms of how yeah. it controls, how it plays, how the levels are collectathons to an extent, but just sprinkled with so much 90s crude humour that oh, it's, almost in, <laughs> it's almost impossible not to enjoy it if you're in that, that headspace to play that kind of game at the time. Because it's not even like it's cleverly written, is it? It is just in your face, we're doing this for shock value, enjoy yeah, it, that th- kind of thing. <laughs> I think it had a 15 rating when it came out. And I think I don't necessarily think that's a you had to be 15 at minimum. I think you had to be 15 as a maximum for the humour to appeal to you. Because it's so <laughs> puerile and crass. Because there's there's poo jokes a go-go, there's, there's sex references, there's weird semi-squirrel nudity, and a lot of gore where squirrels and little rabbits reenact things like the Matrix lobby scene and the beach scene on Saving Private Ryan. It's it's just a mishmash of pop culture references and just kid humour. It does encapsulate like the, the late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. what everything was doing, wasn't it? I mean, you look at Nickelodeon from that time, slightly more kid-friendly, but it was all about gunge and fart jokes and and that kind of thing. Wrestling of the time, like the WWE, well, WWF at the time was in the Attitude Era, so that was all sex jokes and disgusting stuff for the sake of it being disgusting. And it, it was just so of the time. And I don't think people would necessarily understand that now if they didn't live through it like we did. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like sort of the inception of Jackass. Hmm. You can sort of see the cultural movement through Conker's Bad Fur Day from badass, crass 90s humour to what we ended up with with Jackass, which was just worse, crass, disgusting. Violent. Well, not violent, but dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
yeah, it was, and it was a, it was a great time to be alive. I mean, don't let anyone listening to this that didn't experience it think that this is a bad thing. It was fantastic. If I could go back to then, I 100% would in a heartbeat because it was just such a fun time to be that age and enjoy all this stuff. And yeah, like you say, Conkers wasn't one that I got to play on the N64 because no one had it. I didn't know a single person that owned it. It was almost like a myth of a game. Like you knew this game existed. Oh, it's an N64 game and it's full of swearing and nudity and violence. And where'd you get it? I don't know. On PlayStation, there was there was games like that fairly frequently. I think the only one I remember where no one had it and everyone was clamoring for it was Manhunt. And yeah. that was in a different bracket, wasn't it? That wasn't fun, weird stuff. That was like, you had to be a bit of a weird sadist to really enjoy that game in the first place. Yeah. But yeah, there was, there was always stuff like, do you remember Carmageddon, where you got bonus points for running people over and... There was yeah. there was always that kind of thing going on other consoles, but you just never thought Nintendo would allow it on theirs. It just didn't happen, did it? Like there wasn't even particularly many scary or spooky games on the on the SNES, was there? Before you looked at N sixty four, it just wasn't done. It was like no, we're quite kid friendly, and if we're gonna do horror or gore, it's gonna be done in like a a comedy way where it isn't actually scary, it's just... I mean, prime example is um, is it Zombies Ain't My Neighbours? It's a zombie yeah. game, but it's cartoony and comedy, and there's not really anything malicious to it. And yeah, and then this game comes along that's just full of swearing and sex and violence and gore, and it's like, no, nah, Nintendo wouldn't have done this. This is fake. You're making it up. I remember somebody coming into ours with like a magazine, you know, like a... It wouldn't have been Nintendo Power, but our equivalent. Like, look, it is a real game. It's like featured in this magazine. And everyone's like, "Oh God, it is real. It's not just a myth," because that's the level it had built up when it when people were talking about it. Yeah, and then they sort of revisited the whole thing with like um, the GameCube with Resident Evil Four again. Went back to being a family friendly company, and you had like Pikmin, which, granted, you are throwing living animals at larger living animals and watching them get ground into mulch. But in typical Nintendo fashion, it's done with a degree of child-friendly attitude towards it. <laughs> but, um, and then, and then yeah, you got Resident Evil 4. So it's sort of like they've run in cycles since then. Right, let's pick another one. Star Fox 64. I don't think Star Fox 64 is on the list. No, So I think we're good there. I really like this game. Yeah. Which is a stretch for me because I don't like flight sims and I don't tend to like on rails, not on rail shooters, but because because before N sixty well before Lilac Wars as uh, as we knew it in England, and then the one that was on SNES was that just Star Fox the uh, yeah. the first one. Before that, games like that tended to be you were at the bottom going up or you were at the left hand side going going to the right hand side. So like Gallagher and and that kind of thing. And then this turned it 3D, didn't it? But those types of games were never really something I was that interested in. And then Lilac Wars came along and just blew me away. And I was so into it. And I think one of the... Well, there's two reasons I really liked it. One was for the, the Lilac language. Because I could sit and listen and laugh at that all day. Because it is just fantastic. And then the other thing was the fact that it got branching paths. 
but you had to do really weird things in levels to get the branching paths to trigger. And that just fascinated me. And I was like, I want to get on all these different paths and see all the different routes to the end. Yeah, and there were some really good levels in the hard-to-get-to paths because some of them were like you had to pick up three bombs before the end of the level or use three bombs on the end of the level or you had to bomb a specific part of space debris and it opened a new area. But there were some some of them you had to like... Was it take out so many pillars and as you're flying through them and that triggered it and stuff like that. So it wasn't obvious at all, was it? It was sort of, back then it was word of mouth. You'd speak to a friend and they'd be like, oh, I found out how to get into the bottom left path. You have to do X, Y, Z, and then everyone would go and do it. And then somebody else would come back a bit later with like, oh, I found a new branching path. You do this. And it was it really like community building, if anything, wasn't it? Like you all came in and shared your knowledge on how to, to figure out the next bit of the game. Yeah, and then it while it was an on-rail shooter, it then for the boss levels or the bosses at the end of levels, it did all range mode, which was sort mm. of like a free flight sim, which the controls were a bit jank, but that's coming from single analog stick N64 pad era where the entire pad was jank. So, but it it still controlled really smoothly and targeting wasn't difficult or anything like that. And it was just a well-crafted game. Yeah, I think in one of the earliest levels, I don't. it's technically a boss battle, but it's not one of your huge hulking great space monster things. It's like a dogfight, isn't it? So there's so many of the enemy team and your team and you have to fly around in a circular space. Do you have to take out like four satellite dishes and then take them out as well from what I remember? And that is, yeah, it suddenly goes from, oh, I can move left, right, up, down and diagonals and shoot to I've got this fully 3D space. If I get too close to the edge, it it made you do like a loop-the-loop and took you straight back into the action, didn't it? So you didn't have to worry about crashing into walls that were enclosing you in. It just flipped you and you could carry on, which sometimes you could use to your advantage. If somebody's chasing you, you could flip over the back of them and then you're in the advantageous position. And yeah, it was a really fun game and and I got on quite well with it. I, I don't think I ever did find all the routes, but I certainly beat it a few times. And you could have, there was two choices for the voices, weren't there? You could have really, really compressed actual voices yeah. or you could have Lila, which is like me, 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 me. And that's all they sound like the whole way through it. But some of them are fantastic. I remember there's one where I can't. It's a it's a lava base level, and if somebody goes into the lava, I don't know if it's you or whether it's one of the others. Slippy, the little frog comes up, and he just like the the thing that he's saying is like two words, but he just for like five minutes just goes me 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 me, and it like goes on forever. I don't know if it's a glitch or what. But it's just, it's far too many words for this two-word phrase that he's expressing horror at because somebody's <laughs> plunging some lava. And I used to, we used to get to that level and it's like, you've got to throw away a life just to see this happening. It's If you've come this far, it's worth it. So yeah, I, I had a lot of affection for that game. Was there a couple of levels where you ended up in a tank as well? Like on the ground? Yes. Yeah, 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 and you could like get um, you could use do stunts in the um both types of vehicles. So in your aircraft and the tank, you could do like barrel rolls and stuff like that, and do a barrel roll. Use jets 
So if you, I think it was pressed both L and R at the same time. You sort of hovered in the tank, and you could go over obstacles and stuff like that, or avoid like bombs on the floor. But unfortunately, Star Fox, just as a franchise, has done so badly after sixty four. I can't remember the one for the GameCube, but that didn't go down particularly well. Star Fox Adventures. Is that the one where they're all on foot with bazookas and stuff? Yeah, it it played really well, and I played it from start to finish, and it was just an action RPG. It it was sort of like a halfway house between Spyro and Zelda, because you had similar controls to Ocarina of Time. Uh, where you controlled Fox, and then you had Spyro-esque level style and how it was constructed. Um, And then Star Fox for the Wii U. Jesus Christ. Well, we've talked about this a few times, don't we? That was... I don't think the gamepad did that one any favours. No, and I don't want to retread old ground, but that that was piss poor. If it hadn't had that aspect of it with the gamepad, would it have been a decent game? Is that the one thing that ruined it, or was it not great anyway? No. The graphics looked like shit. They, they looked bad by PS2 standards. They were terrible. And the game was the same length as the 64 version. So you had like 10, 12 planets. And when I opened it up, it shows you like the initial bit of the map that you can work your way through. And I was like, ah, oh, okay. So we're going to do this bit and then we're going to move on to a different galaxy and it's going to be sort of like um, a Mario World thing where you get to the end mm. of the level and it's like, oh, Princess is in another castle and then you bugger off to a different galaxy sort of thing and you get to the end and you go, oh, that's it, is it? Jeez, I've, I've spent 60 quid for what amounts to about two hours worth of entertainment. <laughs> I'd have been okay back in the N64 days because there was a finite amount you could put on a cartridge. This is Virgin on Blu-ray discs. Um, what, what what's taking up the rest of the disc space? The thing about the N64 one was as well, like you say, games were smaller in general back then because of the limitations, but Lilac Wars or Star Fox 64 doesn't feel like a small game. No. It feels like there's a lot of gameplay in that game. Like I still haven't experienced all the levels now, I don't think, and I played that game no, a lot. No, I don't think I did. So yeah, it was it was a really, I think it's an overlooked one. And I know that they did. They released Star Fox Two, didn't they? The the lost game that was being developed yeah. for the SNES when they moved away from the SNES on the SNES Mini. But I've not got round to playing it myself yet. I don't know if it's any good. Whether you've tried it or it looks to be more of the same of the first one. So like not quite as good as sixty four, but still pretty good. Hmm. I do have a um, a SNES Mini, so and I haven't booted it up in a while, so that might be a, a go to thing. That in Earthbound. There you go. Right, let me run the randomizer again. Let's go left field. South Park. Oh, is this the first person one? The first person shooter. Yeah, I love this game, and I know I'm in the minority when I say that, but I was obsessed with South Park when it first came out. I had all the plushes. I had the videos. I had the key rings, anything that was South Park I could get my hands on, I had it. And yeah, I remember South Park the game came out initially, I think it was only N64 and PC, and I didn't have an N64, and one of my mates had it for N64, and I went and played a little bit of it, and I was like, I need this game, I 100% need this game. So I went to game, and I bought the PC version. Bearing in mind, my PC was garbage, but at this point, it was probably about five or six years old, it struggled to play Rayman. 
and that came with it. This is the level my PC was at, right? And I went and bought this game. Didn't bother reading the like specs on the back, you know, that they used to put on PC games that were like, you need at least this much processing power, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, stuck the disc in. I thought, why would it not work? This was my naive thought back then. Spun it up, nothing. Just would not play it whatsoever. I'm like, oh, you're joking. Took it to my mates who had a better PC. Not much better, but better. We spun it up on his, played through the first level, and it crashed at the end of the first level every single time. So I just thought I was stuck with this game, and it cost me like 25, 30 quid, because PC games were always a bit cheaper, weren't they, than everything else. Anyway, I remember reading in a magazine that the PC version had this bug in it where it crashed. It wasn't at the end of the first level where we were getting the crash, but I think by the end of the first stage, because each stage was split into three levels, the end of the third stage it just literally did lock up and you couldn't get past it it was like a bug in the early prints of these games and this was in a magazine so i remember going back to game on the bus <laughs> little old me with this magazine in hand and this game and i'm like bought this game and it crashes at the end of level three i'm like it's not my pc it's a recognized bug showed him the magazine he's like oh yeah no problem um hold on a minute scanned it because i didn't have a receipt with me came up at like 45 quid he's like i can't give you cash but you can just have 45 quids worth of store credit i was like yeah go on then so i went and i ended up by this point the ps1 version had come out so i ended up getting the ps1 version and two memory cards just completely free because i got all this extra money to spend so i came away like a king with a version of the game that i could actually play and two free memory cards out of it so i landed on my feet a bit with it but yeah it's it's pretty much a hated game, I think, by the majority of people. Yeah, and I can't understand why, really, because for the time, that was probably what you wanted from a South Park game. You wanted to be one of the kids. Yeah, exactly. This is why I loved it, because the first level, you get thrown into their housing estate, and whoever you pick, you have to go and pick up the other three kids. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think it was the first time South Park characters had been in 3D. Up until that point, they'd only been the the TV show 2D cutouts. So to see like Kenny and Cartman just running around in this little area in full 3D was amazing. You only saw it for a few seconds. As soon as you touched them, they were in your party and you didn't see them again. But all the other characters were in 3D. So when you come bump into Chef, he'd be 3D. All the enemies were 3D. And... Yeah, I don't. The draw distance is terrible. Oh, there's so much fog in it. You can't see practically in front of your face. But it sort of works because then when the enemies come sprinting towards you through it, it does give you a bit of a scare. But yeah, I don't know what people wanted because, yes, it's a bit repetitive because you only have one type of enemy in each stage or two at a push. But you get loads of different weapons to use that all that are all quite funny. And each weapon has a secondary function. So you you start off with snowballs, or you can use yellow snowballs, which add more power, but you've obviously got the little time consumption of turning them into yellow snowballs. The dodgeballs, you can throw them one or two-handed. The Terrence and Philip dolls, one of them's a proxy mine, and one of them's like a remote mine or something, so you can set them off in different ways. So they put a lot of thought into it, I felt like. And... The, the enemies match the TV show as well. It wasn't just like they plucked some generic enemies out of thin air. The first level was the turkeys, the Thanksgiving turkeys that go wild. 
and then there's like the big turkeys that poop out the little ones. I think the second level potentially was the big mutant stan. Um, so there was loads of mutant stands that you had to get rid of. I can't remember what the other ones were, but it fit the theme. It worked. And yeah, people just shat all over it. And I don't think it was fair because it wasn't bad. And the multiplayer mode of it was fantastic. Because it was just Goldeneye with South Park characters. Like, <laughs> what more could you want? And when you look at other franchises that have literally been crowbarred into games, so it's like, oh, there's this popular thing that's on uh, on TV at the minute. I'm amazed they didn't do one with Game of Thrones, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, where they were like, oh, yeah, well, this is this thing that the kids love. We are going to make a video game out of this. And nine times out of ten, they have been crap. And... Th- the, granted, when put up against stuff like the Stick of Truth and the Fractured But Whole, they, they are better games, but that's because they've actually got the advantage of about 20 years' worth of technology behind <laughs> them and, and actually games that can process them and play them properly. But for a first attempt at a foray into making something that the kids would like, I think it was a worthy attempt at least. Yeah, and for as as someone who was a huge South Park fan back then, that is exactly what I wanted, and that's what I got. And we played it for hours. Name me one other game where you can, in multiplayer, launch a cow onto someone else's head so they can't see what they're doing. I mean, it's just inspired. And then there was like there was that little um, alien device that literally features in the first episode of South Park for about 30 seconds. That was a weapon in the game, and it made them sing a song, and they were completely invulnerable for the whole time they were singing it. I love to sing about the moon and the June and the spring. I love to sing about a sky of blue or a deep or two. And it was just the, the thought that went into it was honestly massive. It was obviously a fan of the TV show that had done the game, and I think they did it far more justice than people give it credit for, especially when you look at what came after it. South Park Kart Racer, or whatever it was, which is god-awful. Chef's Love Shack, which is like a terrible mini-game come-quiz thing. So I think that was the best of a bad bunch, if I'm honest. And and I think it, it deserves a lot more credit than it gets. Especially the N64 version for the multiplayer, because you've obviously got the option to have four players. Um, and I think it had more characters on the N64 one, more multiplayer characters than they could crowbar into the PS1 disc. So yeah, N64, really the best way to play it. But I I got a lot of love for that game, and I think it's unfair the amount of hate it gets. Right, let's pick another one. Ooh, let's go with Wave Race 64. Did you ever have that one? Didn't have Wave Race. I had Wave Race Blue Storm for the GameCube, because it came free with it. It's the one where you're on jet skis, isn't it? Yeah, Wave it Race. Is. I enjoyed it. Again, as somebody who doesn't really like racing games, there was something a little bit different about it. It it handled how you'd expect a jet ski to handle. It wasn't just a boat on water that looked like a jet ski. It felt like you were dipping and bobbing and you got that, you know, that level of control over it. Yeah, if you look at the screenshots of it and the gameplay, it is very Mario Kart. The, the mm. layout of everything. It is very Mario Kart. And it, it looks good. For an N64 game, the water effects... Granted, everything that's like a hill with a tree on it looks pre-rendered with just horrendous art assets of grass stretched 
awkwardly over the top of it, but the water genuinely looks good. Nintendo have always been a company that has managed to do good-looking water, to be fair. But if you're able to do it on N64, that's just something else, really. Um, But yeah, I know what you mean. Um, Even Wave Race Blue Storm was how you'd expect a jet ski to handle, really. It was... Yeah, it's hard there to was no explain sort of... what you mean by it, but it it's how it's like when you played the um, you remember them in the arcades where it got like a snowboard and you'd actually stand yes. on it. That felt like you were snowboarding. They'd done such a good job of how it imitated it on the screen. You felt like you were in control of it, and I feel like in Wave Race, you can't explain it other than to say it felt like how I imagine if I was on an actual jet ski that would maneuver in the water. Yeah, it's got that sort of... There's almost the tangibility of the water resistance. So when you're playing Mario Kart, it's just tyres on land, basically. But in Wave Race, you've got the drag of the water against the jet ski. You can't build up speed as quick as you'd like to in a racing game. And then your drifts are a lot wider and a lot more arcing, but the tracks are set up to compensate for it. So they're quite sprawling, wide um, tracks that you get to go through just so you can do these sort of little drifts and fishtail in the water as you're just landing from a uh, jump. But yeah, it's, it, it is the tangibility of the controls, I think, where you can almost sense the water resisting against you, basically. I don't know if it's something they were able to program back then or whether it's just it's how it makes you feel. But you almost get that feeling of when other riders get close to you that they're churning the water up and that's yeah. making your handling change for the better or for the worse. Um, and you sort of like, yeah, you feel like the waves that are coming off their bikes making yours harder to handle. And I don't know if that's something that was actually part of the programming or whether it was just when you got into that mentality that's how you felt when you were controlling it but it definitely had an aspect of that to it let's pick another one so i don't have any experience of this one so you might not and we might go really quickly hey you pikachu (laughs) this was the most blatant cash-in of (laughs) cash-ins brave of them to try and I appreciate Nintendo's dalliances with new ideas and new trends. Because they do this sort of every generation where they have like a little dalliance with a little pet project like they did with the Virtual Boy. Nintendo was not set up for virtual reality, but they did it anyway. Looks god-awful, but it is at least the initial stepping stone into getting full 3D motion VR off the ground, essentially. So props to Nintendo for that. And this, again, was like a the world's first 3D interactive virtual pet where you could speak to... I think you got a microphone with it. Yeah, you did, And you yeah. could speak and you sort of plugged it into one of the controller ports, um, the second one, I think, and you, you still controlled everything else with a pad. And you could talk to your Pikachu and give it commands... I mean, it was blocky, polygonal N64 graphics. of Pikachu looked horrifying. <laughs> but, yeah, so you could just sort of give him commands and you could 
like take him with you on walks and you could feed him and you could literally you had to shout hey you pikachu and it he'd his ears would prick up the voice recognition on the other hand ballsy an attempt though it was the voice recognition was for shit. it was terrible you could sit there shouting at this little yellow rat until you were blue in the face and he'd just sit there and ignore you because it didn't recognize the voice or the commands you were giving it so <laughs> a novel step for the tech it makes me a bit sad thinking about it now because there's thousands of pikachus that just never knew that that was the last day they were going to have with their master and then they got turned off and then they've just been stuck in those cartridges in limbo forever like they just thought it was another normal day and then it wasn't it was the last time they were ever going to interact with anyone and then they just got turned off and it's yeah that makes me a bit sad that if if any of them did achieve anything near sentience that they're now just sat in these cartridges forevermore. And have gone insane by now, I would assume, if they were sentient. Um, I think that was also where they coincided the launch with the Pikachu N64. Yeah. yeah so where it was, it was like a bright blue N64 with a 3D modelled Pikachu down the right-hand side. And I think it was his foot that was the on button. Yeah. The power well, no, button. His foot's the reset button because people didn't know this, so they had to put a sticker of Ash's face saying, This is the reset button with like a little pointing arrow to his foot. Because I, <laughs> the only reason I know that is because um, one of the pages we follow who are fairly local that sell old consoles and stuff got one in the other day with the sticker still on. And obviously, it's a fairly big deal because nobody left the stickers on. So, yeah, if you've got an Ash sticker on there, I think it's probably got a little bit of value for you now. And the Pokeball, then, was the on button. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And when you turned it on, his little cheeks lit up red. Um, And I think it spoke. I think it had a speaker in the top of the N64, and it said it did the Pika Pika uh, line. Um, So, yeah, massively blatant cashing by Nintendo, but God love them, they tried. I don't know for a fact, and I'm not going to Google it because I don't want that word popping up in my Google history, uh, but what came first, you reckon, this or Seaman for Dreamcast? Because that was a very similar idea, oh, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I would assume this. N64s before Dreamcast, just. I mean, they did coincide yeah. with each other, didn't they? But but yeah, Seaman is another quite literal kettle of fish for another day because that is one of the most bizarre experiments you will ever see on the gaming console. I mean, why anyone was ever persuaded to part with their money for that, knowing what it was, knowing what it was called, I mean, <laughs> baffling. But anyway, let's... How many more shall we do? A couple more? Yeah, a couple more. call it a day. Right, let's go with... Because I've had a terrible experience with it recently, Paper Mario. Original Paper... Well, not original Paper Mario, but... Oh, it is technically the oh, original no, it is Paper original, Mario, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it was Mario, was Mario RPG. Yeah. Again, nice, brave step for Nintendo. Um, 
doing something different with the Mario franchise, and it's always when they do something different that they actually make something that has last ability. Unfortunately, they then continue to milk that property to oblivion, and they ruin it because then they do stuff like the 3DS Paper Marios, which have all been shite to down to each individual one, really. Um, I am looking forward to the new one on the Switch, or potential remaster of Thousand Year Door, because it's coming and ordering whether it's a new one or... Yeah, it's either a new one or the remaster in Thousand Year Door. It's a bit vague. Because I refuse to buy Origami King because of the weird fighting mechanic where they're all on little rotating tracks and yeah. you have to line them up. I was like, no, I don't want to think that much. I just want the standard bonk them on the head and if I time the button press right, it does it again. That's enough for me. That's what I want. I don't want to be sliding Goombas about so I can line them all up so I can hit them all with one shot. and it just Talk about overcomplicating something that should be really simple. Yeah, my bad experience with Mario, Paper Mario, I think, I don't know if I've mentioned this on an episode or whether I just told you, but I've been playing it on the virtual console thing, you know, the thing you get free on Switch, and there's some sort of bug in it. So I played for about 14 hours, and I was quite happily playing along. I got up to, like, Act 4 or halfway through Act 4 or something like that, and I was just about to engage someone in battle and the whole screen went off and it's like this game has encountered a, a, an error please close it and re-log back into it and I was like oh for fuck's sake I've not saved it for about two hours I'm fuming I'm gonna have to replay two hours worth went back in it deleted my save file so there's just nothing and I'm like I do not have the patience to do another 14 hours on this because my main beef with it is I can't remember what I've done and I don't want to do it differently to how I had it. So I don't remember who I'd upgraded, how I'd upgraded them, where I'd put my like EXP points whenever I'd leveled up, what badges I got, what badges I hadn't got, what I got equipped. I'm like, I don't want another experience. I want my old experience back. And since I can't have that, I'm just going to be stubborn and not play it anymore. So that game will forever remain unfinished for me because... Nintendo balls up the port to the point that it crashes and deletes your save file. If it had just crashed and I had to redo two hours, I wouldn't have been happy, but I'd have done it. But to expect me to replay 16 hours... Yeah, they don't do so well with ports, really, do they, Nintendo? I don't know what it is, but every time they've attempted to do a port, it's always come through as... Just dog shit, really. There was the time that they ported Majora's Mask to the GameCube and that crashed all the time and that deleted your save files all the time. I think the only thing they've successfully managed to port over to different consoles has been mainline Zelda games. So Ocarina of Time's been fine. Wind Waker, they've ported over fine. But every time they've tried to port over an old game, it's just not worked. They've, I don't know what it is about the development team, but they can't do it. Right, let's pick another one. What shall we finish on? Something massively obscure or something fairly well known? What do you reckon? Oh, we'll go with obscure. In that case, I've got the perfect game. Are you familiar with Space Station Silicon Valley? I am familiar with Space Station Silicon Valley. <laughs> not so, that obscure. <laughs> Is this the one where you play as all different animals? 
Yes. You can sort of so take think... over different animals and, and use their abilities in inverted commas. Yeah, so the front cover of the uh, game is um, a horrific mishmash of like a dog and a polar bear in space. But yeah, that really weird game. Is it a fairly well-known one then? Because I remember I bought a, an old N64 and it came with it and I'd literally never heard of it. Um... No, I I just think it was probably my taste in games was a little bit eccentric <laughs> as a kid. Because <laughs> I, I must have looked at that and gone, that's the game for me. <laughs> I remember putting it in, I was like, what is this? I have no recollection of what this is or anything. I've never played anything. I've never played it, never turned it on. Put it on, it's something about animals in space. And I was like, right, bit bizarre, but I can get on board with this. And then, like, the first thing I did was take over a mouse that was whizzing around and I had no control over it. I was like, no, not for me. I've had enough. Yeah, I think think the plot is you are a robot who... And all the animals are are animatronic, essentially. And they're all made out... They look like they're made out of uh, plasticine. So going back to uh, the fighting game you mentioned earlier, again, it was another game where everything looked like it was made out of moulded clay. But you're main robot guy's body is just completely destroyed and you're reduced to like a microchip and you have to go and find your body parts basically and you're having to plug your chip into different animals so that you can use their abilities to get around this sort of 3d world to pick up your body parts so there'll be like water in the way uh, like a massive, you, an arm will be at the bottom of a lake or something, so you'll need to possess a crocodile or a hippo and you'll have to swim and certain animals can't go into cold environments, so you'll have to possess the polar bear. It's a bit like Mario Odyssey, but less of the parasitic baseball cap, more plugging in a memory chip into uh, like random animatronic animals. I think if I'd have had it back in the day, I would have enjoyed it. But I just, I played it for about half an hour and I was like, there's better games for me to play on this <laughs> brand new console I've just bought than this. Was ported to the PlayStation though. Was it? Mm. Mm. And the game by Colour. Oh God. can only imagine what that was like. <laughs> God awful, I would assume. Right, I'm gonna we're going to do one more then. And I've literally Googled obscure N64 games. Ooh. See, I don't know if I remember this one or not. Let me just uh, do a little bit of investigation. Nope, I don't. I mean, I'll I'll say it and see if you do. Um, body harvest. Why does that ring a bell? Insects. I think you're fighting insects. Uh, it does ring a bell. I'm going to have to look up the cover. Yeah, I do. So it is essentially our Earth Defence Force is a series of games that they keep releasing them every year and you're just a person and you are fighting colossal insects and the graphics are always shit. doesn't matter what generation of consoles they release the new game on. They are really <laughs> basic. They are really super, like PS2. The buildings don't have doors. They're just like blocks with like the odd w- window drawn on badly. And these insects just sort of lumber in. So you start off and it's like giant locusts and you're a bloke with a machine gun and you can pick up different weapons. So you get rocket launchers, grenade launchers, sniper rifles, that sort of thing. And you're fighting off waves and waves of locusts and they're really difficult to kill. 
And then the enemies just start getting progressively bigger. So you get like giant stag beetles, massive, and I mean like 80 story praying mantises and stuff like that. And then huge cockroach bosses that you have to blow the legs off. And then you have to sort of climb up on top of it and shoot all the little babies on its back and things like that. And they're always god awful. But I think this was probably like the original where it all (laughs) began. Because, yeah, you're basically a little man in a protective suit and you're fighting off alien invaders that are giant insects. And I know you get you get like civilian casualties and stuff like that. And you have to, if you get so many civilian casualties, the level ends, you get wave after wave of enemies and you have to keep running around like the, the biome that you're in fighting Mm. off waves of enemies um, so that you're keeping the civilian casualties to a minimum. Never managed to complete a level without civilian casualties. It, the running in its arse, it's it's terrible, and and the gunplay is even worse. But yes, it is something I have played. I feel like they'd seen Starship Troopers and just went, yeah, just do that with terrible graphics, and we'll call it a day. Right, last one. This this one I think is obscure. I don't even know if it ever came out over here. I've played it, and I'm not sure how I've played it. It may have been that thing that we're not allowed to talk about. But have you ever played? Goemon's Great Adventure? I have played Goemon, but I don't think it was Goemon's Great Adventure. See, this is a really good game. It's like a platformery 3D, 2D side-scrolling platformer, but it's just really fun. I've had a lot of fun with this. Some of the bosses are great, and yeah, it's one of those that I like to recommend to people, but it is just really hard to get hold of it or play it. Oh, it was released... In de- on December 23rd, 1998. Why would you do that? No wonder it didn't sell well. <laughs> Two days before Christmas and the same year that Zelda came out. Why? I think Zelda came out in October. We did get a release of it in June, the year after, but I don't remember ever seeing it on sale anywhere. No. It was called Mystical Ninja 2, starring Goemon in Europe, apparently. So that's one I'd recommend if you can get hold of um, a copy of it somewhere or another. Because I had a lot of fun with that one. It is quite... Goemon's quite tongue-in-cheek anyway, isn't it? And and quite self-aware. And it's no different in that one. Unless there's there's any games you want to mention for N64 in this random cavalcade. I think we'll do like a, a Pokemon episode and I can bring up stuff like Pokemon Stadium in that and what have you. But there are plenty of weird titles on the N64. Really weird ones. Yeah, yeah. The, it was the home for very strange games, wasn't it, the N64? Uh, not strange as in like disturbing, but just stuff that maybe wouldn't have worked in other places or very sort of don't want to say like Japanese games, but you know some of the concepts that you get that they come up with that we just don't get over here. Um, like, is it, what's the one called where you roll around in a big ball gathering shit on you? <laughs> My Katamari. Yeah, like, can you imagine anyone in like yeah. Europe coming up with that concept? It just, nope. it wouldn't ever happen, would it? And I think like, I know that game obviously wasn't N64, but feel like there was a lot of games like that for N64 that and Nintendo consoles in general like Pikmin for example that 
that we mentioned on an, an episode earlier on. Very bizarre concept, but it works. But it just—it's very of that sort of—I don't know—not Japanese culture. But if somebody showed you Pikmin and went, "Where in the world do you think this game was yeah. created?" You'd immediately go, "It looks like it's something from Japan, wouldn't you?" It's just got that vibe to it. And I think a lot of N sixty four games—they tried a lot of experimental stuff. I mean, a couple of ones that I was going to mention, but we didn't get time was. Um, Kirby, so the the Kirby one on on N sixty four, I never even knew existed until I bought an N sixty four recently and I got a copy with it, and it's it's really good because like it looks terrible, I I'll say that, but the fact you can combine abilities to create completely new abilities, it's just a great concept for Kirby because you've been able to absorb these abilities for so long, but the idea of combining them never really came up and. All the combinations are so different. It's not just like you combine two things and you get a little bit of a bigger fireball. Like everything changes completely when you combine it with something else to to a massive degree. And I just think that's quite clever. A couple of the other ones. Uh, oh god, what was it called? Shadow Man was it? Do you remember Shadow Man? Yeah. That was a bit of an adulty one for N sixty four to go down. Don't know if you've got. Uh, did you ever have that one? Because I did, and it was. No, I didn't get on no, with it very well. I, I knew of it, but I never, um, I never actually owned it. I think it was multi-platform as well, wasn't it? So it wasn't just an N sixty four game. But from what I remember, you sort of dip between reality and like this purgatory almost. Yeah. And and I don't know if you're in charge of collecting souls or something, but for me at that age, it was just a bit much. I never really got into the story of it, and it wasn't a particularly fun game to play from what I remember, but it just the concept was pretty cool looking back on it now. Yeah, um, it was very... Um, it sort of, you can see where the influences for things like um, Eternal Darkness came from, really, because it's yeah. that sort of bizarre cosmic horror, not like you say, not particularly uh, scary, but it's based on the Shadowman comics, which are dark mm. as far as comics go. And then you've got games that we've not got to, like Jet Force Gemini, Blast Corpse, Harvest Moon, 64. Yeah. So, I mean, we could probably do another one of these episodes at some point down the line and talk about some of the other ones or our favourites rather than just random ones. But I just thought this would be a fun little break from the main list for us. So hopefully everybody listening enjoyed it as well. And we'll do the usual thank you to our patrons who are getting to listen to this first. I'll go through the full set since we're on Patreon. So in the couple of coins tier, we've got Lee and we've got Harry Flynn. In the Bucket Kickers, we've got the Sweaty Llama and Dino Dini. And in the Avatarnish tier, we've got Atropos. If you want to become one of our patrons and listen to these episodes early, because if you're not, I assume you're listening on Spotify at least a month after this came out on Patreon. So you could have been listening to this a month earlier. All you need to do is go to patreon.com slash bucketlistgamers, subscribe to any tier, uh, bucket kicker or above, and you'll get access to these as soon as they come out, rather than having to wait for me to bleep all the swearing out of them and bother to put them on Spotify and other platforms like that. So yeah, that rounds off our random N64 retrospective, uh, where we covered some bizarre games and talked about a few that we enjoyed i'm sure we'll do this again for other n64 games gamecube games potentially even Game Boy, that kind of thing we we could do it for all the consoles there's loads of games that don't really get talked about playstation even more so 
Gregory Horror Show. Yep. Needs needs more mentions. <laughs> I actually uh I managed to dig out my old copy of it the other day and start playing it as well. Uh, and I figured that I can actually do a screen recording of me playing it. So I'm Ooh. tempted to do a playthrough if I can remember how to play it without just getting absolutely decimated. But it is as creepy as I remember it. <laughs> so there's that. But yeah, we'll close it off there. So all that remains for me to say is that's goodbye from me. And that's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.